Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Daniel 2, 1 through 3, 10 through 24, and 27 through 30. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. The astrologers replied to the king, No one on earth can tell the king his dream, and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell your dream, and they do not live here among people. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Then Daniel went in to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, Don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Daniel replied, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome job, Todd. You need some water after that? That was a good, that's a long one. Uh, I know that these passages are long, and if you find yourself um, kind of wandering during a reading like that, just remembering that these things are, while they may be familiar stories, it is so good to just stop and, and just sit in these scriptures in their entirety, uh, that you'll forget my words, but my hope is that these things are the, are the words that you'll remember. The word of the Lord is forever, and it is eternal, and it is the thing that we uh, should not be afraid to spend a few moments reading and marinating in. 
as we look at the book of Daniel in these first six chapters, we are examining the life of Daniel and some of his friends and seeing an example of courageous faith. These people of faith that they exhibit this courage as they live in a world as outsiders. They look on the outside looking in and they feel out of place. And throughout this six-week series, we're hoping to discover and develop our own courage, our own courageous faith, uh, so that we can face our life situations, as tough and as, as difficult as they might feel or you might feel and relate to being an outsider in your own way, in your own home or workplace or school or wherever you're at in your neighborhood. And we can, we can really learn a lot from Daniel and what it means to be a, uh, a man or woman of faith and have courage. And as we look at Daniel today, we see somebody's courage formed under the leadership of one of the worst bosses ever. How many of you have had a bad boss in your day and age, in your time? Tyler, I'm watching your hand. It better stay down. <laughs> Church council, your hands stay down. April, you've been employed under me. I'm watching all of those hands most particularly. Cameron, I see your hands, right? They did not go up, by the way. Anyways. How many of you have had a bad boss in your time, right? Somebody who was rude or angry all the time or irrational or incompetent, right? Think of even, and we're not going to bash anybody. We're not going to shout names out of bosses that we didn't like. But think even in pop culture, we see some great examples of bad bosses, right? Think of some of the most iconic bad bosses. Who comes to mind? See if you can name the top three that I came up with. Michael Scott, no, he's a great boss. Michael Scott from Dunder Mifflin is a great boss, right? What? The boss from Office Space. Travis, let's see that one. That is Lumberg. Yeah, that's the bad boss, isn't he? He just continues to put, and if you've never seen Office Space, you have no idea what I'm talking about. All right, what other ones come to mind? Mr. Burns. Ding, ding, ding. That's two out of three. Here we go. Yes. Right? Right? Just totally self-absorbed and greedy and materialistic and just a bad dude. All right, last one. Let's go three for three. What? Mr. Who? Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob. Wow, that's a poll right there. Uh, no, it wasn't, but I think the cartoon three in that direction. No, no. Anybody else guess? It's from a movie, top three bad bosses. What? The Devil Wears Prada boss. There she is, yes. Miranda, yes, right? Just terrible bosses in, in pop culture. Bad examples. And Daniel himself has been captured and forced into a servant's role under one of the worst kings and leaders uh, in his time. His kingdom is one of the most powerful in its time, and it is just conquering kingdom after kingdom and just expanding. It should be a place of, uh, of you know, uh, leadership security, knowing that you are leading one of the strongest kingdoms in, in its time, his role as the king of Babylon. Uh, and yet in that, as he's exerting his power and his control, he is restless. And he's restless, as we see in chapter 2, because he's starting to have some dreams. You ever have some weird dreams, right? He's having some dreams, and he's seeking clarity. And we see that in the passage here in verses 1 through 3. It says, Nebuchadnezzar had had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He, he called his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, they said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. 
Nebuchadnezzar is a deeply spiritual person. He is just looking at all the different places for these answers. He's a bit misguided as he's looking at the stars and magic and all of these mystical forms of in, uh, information. He's trying to find uh, ways to articulate truth, but he's deeply spiritual. He's just now worshiping the one true God. And he's restless because he's had this dream, and I, I, I find this quite interesting. He's not telling them the dream. He's basically saying, if you're so smart, prove it. Tell me my dream, and then tell me what it means. And it's a, it's a bold move, right? Like, you talk about your bad bosses, right? Like, that. tell me my dream that nobody else knows, and then tell me what it means, because it's really causing me to be anxious right now. And it's driving him to a point where the people around him can't help him, and it is stirring, that anxiety is now turning to anger. And we see this in verse 11 through 12, when he demands and even threatens them in verse 11 through 13, excuse me. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. This is the type of insight he's getting as king. The king was furious when he had heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. So the king is driven to this irrational source of anger, right? This, this outburst where, fine, if you guys can't figure it out, off with your head, right? Total queen of hearts, to, total move in, in Alice in Wonderland. No? Yes? Huh? Mm? Yeah, some of you got it. If not, go to Disneyland. All right? But what we see here is Daniel and his friends are facing this life-threatening situation, and yet what does he do? He doesn't panic. He doesn't freak out. But he stays calm, and he operates with a wisdom to navigate this chaotic, crazy, irrational moment. And he's looking for answers. Daniel himself is looking for answers that he can give to the king. And thinking in our own stories right now, just pause for a second, and, and I'm sure you've got a bad boss, you've got some irrational moments happening in your life, life is a roller coaster, but nobody's probably gonna say off with your head because you can't interpret their dreams. But, how many of us are looking for answers to questions right now? You're, you're, you know a tough conversation's coming at work. You know a hard conversation's coming with your spouse or with a family member or somebody that you care about deeply. And you're wondering, how do I have that hard conversation? How do I say these things? Maybe you're facing uh, tragedies or difficulties or circumstances where you're just looking for, I don't know what to do next. What's the next step? How do I respond or react to this? What do I do if I'm facing, especially if you're facing uh, a person that, I don't know how they're going to respond to this. You find yourself looking for answers because you might be up against the Nebuchadnezzar of your own, somebody that is a bit volatile, somebody that's a bit emotionally unstable or unhealthy, or somebody that's a little insecure and acting in a way where you're like, I don't know what to say that's not going to make them explode back at me. So what do you do? Because some of you, I, I imagine, are going to have to face that this week or this month or in this next season. Maybe you brought that hard situation in with you this morning. And like Daniel, we can slow down and discover some courageous wisdom. But in order to do so, what we're going to learn from Daniel is that courageous wisdom 
is found in moments of courageous dependency. And that is today's big idea of what we're talking about, is that we all need wisdom in life. We all need answers to questions. But courageous wisdom is found in, courageous, in moments of courageous dependency, where we slow down and get away with God and become dependent upon him as the God of wisdom to find insight into how to navigate life's roller coasters, the tense conversations, the irrational people in our lives, the people that are unpredictable, the moments that are unexpected. What do I mean by courageous dependency? It is this bold reliance, dependency, meaning a need for God in these tough moments. A reliance meaning like, I can't do this without God. And look at Daniel's example because his example shows us he didn't run off and, and just go to Nebuchadnezzar and say like, yeah, I got this, man. Let me just pull this out of my ancient wisdom of like what I used to do 10 years ago. Or I think I read a blog about dealing with irrational kings. Let's get together and figure this out, guys. Or dream interpretation for dummies, right? He didn't like do that. What does he do? He gets away with God. And in his example, I see a dependency upon the one true God. Verse 18 and 19. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and then Daniel praised the God of heaven. So Daniel finds himself in this tense moment, and his response is what? Let's stop and get away and be with God. Come on, boys, let's go. And he gets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they go, and they find a quiet space, and they go, and they just pray, and then they just wait doesn't tell us how long this took, but it says during the evening that they just prayed and waited on the Lord for an answer to their question. I mean, that is an answer that, like, did we get it? I think we got it. I don't know. Did you get it, Daniel? Like, it's Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Like, how could you pinpoint that that's the correct answer, right? Unless you just ask God, and they have to wait. But it's in that waiting, to me, that shows a courage, that shows a strength that shows an ability to stand firm and be reliant and trust in God because they pray and then they don't just scamper off to what they thought was the right answer right away. They pray and they wait and wait and at some point in that evening it became very clear to Daniel, this is the answer you're looking for. I think a lot of times in life I am anxious about something and I will try every answer that I think is right and then, oh, no, none of those worked well. Okay, well, God, maybe we should pray about this. And then I quickly pray, oh, Lord, give me the answer. Help me solve this problem. Let's move forward. Okay, now back to Sean's answers, right? Anybody relate to that? We give God our best solutions and expect him to use those. And Daniel says, no, we're going to get away, and we're going to wait on the Lord. And I believe it shows this dependence upon the Holy Spirit that is so countercultural. We live in a culture that says, if you can't figure it out, there's something wrong with you. You should have the answer within you. You should have the strength and the talent to pull yourselves by the bootstraps and figure this out. And yet they rely on the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of God in that moment. A moment that is filled with all kinds of emotion and tension. And in a tense moment, I think some of us can be like Nebuchadnezzar. We're searching for all those answers everywhere else, aren't we? We're searching for answers to a point where 
we're looking, maybe, maybe we do what Nebuchadnezzar would do. We're looking at horoscopes, we're looking at tarot cards, we're looking at the stars, we're saying, well, I'm a Virgo, or I'm a Libra, or I'm a... We look to these things as if, based on the month I was born on, that's going to be the answer to this problem? Look at the palm of my hand and tell me the future. And some of us would think, yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Why would I ever think that, right? But there are people in our culture that live that way and believe that way, and they're looking to the stars or their palms or cards or the throw of a dice to be the solution to their problems. But maybe you don't run to those things as Nebuchadnezzar would have. Maybe you run to other things. You run to podcasts. Those are more of an acceptable form. A blog, a vlog, a book. I'll just verbally process and talk about this with everyone that I can come in contact with, and then we will get to the answer that I think I knew all along. I was in a conversation one time with somebody about that, with a problem I was having, and I was trying to navigate it, and he was just very blunt. He's like, Sean, I think you already know the answer you want. Why are we talking? Because I want validation that I'm right. Like, well, but you already know what you want to do. Whether or not God is leading you to do that, that's, up, that's between you and God. But it sounds like you already know what you want to do. And I wonder how many of us are faced with tense moments, hard conversations, difficult, difficult people, and we're wondering, what do I do? How do I go about this? Where's the answer? Where's the wisdom? And it's as if we're shopping in the wrong store for the right thing, Right? And I was thinking about how that would relate, right? Like Nebuchadnezzar's shopping in all the wrong stores to get what he's looking for. How many of you have gone to the wrong store looking for something? I was trying to find some pool supplies for, I needed just some piping and, and an adapter made out of PVC. And so I was getting propane by the country store by, on, uh, across from the mall, right? And I was there and I was like, oh, they gotta have what I'm looking for. They're a hardware type store. And I, I'm like, convenient, because I'm already here getting something else. So one-stop shop, let's go. I go in, I show them what I need. They're like, no, nah, we don't have that. I'm like, okay. Well, now I could go to Home Depot, or I can go to Ekram. I could go to Home Depot, I could go to Ekram. Ekram's closer to my house, but eh, I'll go to Home Depot. They're the big box store. They got to have everything, right? So I go to Home Depot, and I go, and I look, and they, nope, they don't have what I need. And I'm looking around, and looking around, and I'm asking the guy in the orange apron, and he's no help. He just doesn't know what I need. No offense to Home Depot people, but it was just not helpful. I'm like, I need this type of, and he's like, ah, uh, check the washer and dryer. I'm like, it's piping. I, okay. He's leading me down the wrong spot. And then lastly, I went to the hardware store just down the street, got helpful service, found all the options, and today's message is sponsored by Ekram Hardware. <laughs> because I found exactly what I needed. I think we're shopping for wisdom and we're looking for the easiest option. We're looking for the most convenient option. We're looking for the most predictable option. We're looking to the option that we think is going to have the solution we need instead of looking at the right option. We're not looking to the one true God for the wisdom that we need in life. And if you're searching for wisdom, we need to spend time with the God of wisdom. Daniel's praise shows how interconnected wisdom and our God are. Look at the way Daniel praises God in verse 20 through 23. Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. 
He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in the darkness. We have, he, you have given me, he's praying to God, you have given me wisdom and strength. God is wisdom. God is our wisdom. That's what he needed and that's where he went for it. He didn't run to this store and that store and this blog and this book and this conversation and this tarot card or anything like that. Where did he go? He went to the one-stop shop. We're going to go to the God of wisdom. God is wisdom. You need wisdom in life. You need insight and perspective and knowledge of where to go in life. That's what wisdom is, right? How do I navigate this wisely? Well, that is God. God is wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 8, there's an entire chapter describing the characteristics of of wisdom, and we think of Proverbs as this great book on all these like Hallmark fortune cookie sayings, right? But in chapter eight, it goes into this detailed description of what wisdom really looks like, and it's this personification of wisdom. And guess what it sounds a lot like when you read about wisdom? It describes our God. It describes Jesus. The very characteristics that we would use to describe Jesus are the characteristics that are described to, to, to characterize wisdom. We see later in the New Testament, Jesus is described as wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. When you look at Jesus, he is the wisdom of God. Colossians 2, 3, in him, him being Jesus, lie, all, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the embodiment of the wisdom that we need in life his teaching, his ministry, his life, everything. He's the embodiment of it. He is the answers that we are looking for. His brother James, Jesus' brother, his half-brother, wrote a letter to the early church, and look at the way he describes wisdom. But this is wisdom from above. It is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap harvests of righteousness. James understood that wisdom is not this ethereal knowledge of the stars and the cosmos. It is, it is the ability to live life and embody the God that we worship in our own lives. The attributes of wisdom match the attributes of God, pure, peace-loving, gentle, humble, fruitful. That's describing the wisdom that we are looking at. It's not self-serving. It's not puffing you up. It's not prideful and arrogant. That's the wisdom that we are seeking in these quiet moments, in these moments of dependency, and God is the source of that wisdom. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, that God doesn't just contain all this wisdom, but he actually distributes it to us. He gives us this wisdom. And it says in 1 Corinthians 2, and we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. We understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. If Jesus is wisdom and we are given the Holy Spirit to have the mind of Christ, that means you and I have what? Wisdom. It's the word of the day. It should be pretty easy to, to fill that blank in, right? We have wisdom. We have the mind of Christ. We can think like Jesus would have thought. 
because God has sent us his Holy Spirit. That Jesus promised the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on God's people. Sent as a teacher and a comforter and a convictor, but also as as, as one who would be our compass to navigate the tough Nebuchadnezzar conversations of life. The Holy Spirit is our source of that wisdom because the Holy Spirit, when we choose to follow Jesus and we are saved, what happens? We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of God in us. The spirit of wisdom resides in our hearts and our minds. God is pouring out this wisdom on us. Look at the way Paul describes it to the Colossian church. He says, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Talk about a pastor caring for people. He says, we pray for you to experience this, that God would give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please God and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. How many of you want to be fruitful in life? How many of you want to live like Jesus would live? How many of you want to embody your faith in a real, righteous manner? It is not going to come on accident. It is going to be coming based on the guidance of the Holy Spirit, based on the wisdom of the Holy Spirit moving our lives, leading our lives, being the compass to our lives. The Holy Spirit leads us, teaches us, guides us. And I believe that's what happens with Daniel in that moment of prayer as he's seeking God's presence and his presence is poured out on that moment and he's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's given a vision for the future. He's given a vision of what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. He's able to know the secrets and mysteries of the world that no one else seemed to know because the God of the universe is the God of all wisdom and knowledge. And Jesus promised not just that wisdom and knowledge so that we could go about our weekly routines and lives, but also Jesus knew that we would face tense conversations just like Daniel would. In Matthew 10, 19 through 20, look at the way Jesus describes what would happen when we face our Nebuchadnezzars in life. He says, you will be arrested when you are arrested. Don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who is speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. God is giving us the words to say. Daniel didn't just dream this up himself. Throw a dart at the board and hope it hit. The presence of the living God was speaking to his heart and mind in that moment and gave him knowledge of what to say. And it wasn't Daniel speaking. It was the presence of God moving through him in that way. There are moments where we can live that out. But it becomes not you and I trying to exert our authority or exert our knowledge or look at me, I'm so smart and knowledgeable and wise. What is it? It is a dependency upon God to say, God, you are the wisdom I seek. You are the God of the universe. You are the one leading my life. That is the dependency we're talking about today, being dependent upon God more than we're dependent upon ourselves. God is wisdom. He's the source of wisdom. And the last time we faced a hard time, did we stop and seek to ask God for wisdom? James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, ask. He writes a lot more, but let's just stop right there. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. 
It's that simple. He goes on to say that God doesn't see this as a weakness. If you need wisdom in life, you're not weak. You're not inferior. It's not a competition. We all need answers. We're all going to face hard conversations and hard people and hard times. You're not weak because you need to ask God for help. But if you're going to ask, you better believe that he is the source of that wisdom. Don't let doubt and cynicism and pessimism pessimism and negativity get in the way and cloud that judgment. Don't become so self-sufficient that when we pray, we're like, God, uh, yeah, help me. James goes on to describe it. He says, when you ask him, be sure in your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person will be divide, with divided loyalties as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. That's that image of a wave crashing all over the place, that's not courageous dependency. That's arrogant self-sufficiency. We're just trying to figure it out on our own. Maybe God will help. Maybe Oprah will help. Maybe God will help. Maybe this book will help. Maybe God will help. Maybe this person over here will help. That's not dependency. So, to think for a moment about those tense situations that you're facing that require a courageous wisdom. Won't be too hard. You've got a conversation with your boss you need to have. You've got a conversations about maybe you run your own small business and you've got budget things and you've got work compensation. You're hiring somebody. You're firing somebody, right? You've got projects you've got to take on. All these things, you're like, how do I do this well? How do I represent who I am and what I believe but have to lead a business or lead a team of people or lead my family? Maybe you've got decisions in your family that are really tough right now. There's conflict. There's habits that need to be addressed. You're making decisions about your future and your future feels daunting and unknown and unpredictable and you're just like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not facing a, a person but I'm facing a hard decision. What do I do with my future? And I, I'm here to just encourage us, let's not encounter those situations the way everybody else would. There's something different about us, and it's that we follow the one true God. So let's not go into the same patterns that everybody else would or that we've been brought up to do, which is to numb our pain or to escape our confusion or distract ourselves from the hard situation or to avoid or overreact or do all those different things. Let's not go the way is easy and natural and popular. Let's do it different. Let our faith be the thing that dictates a different response. Let's very simply call a timeout with God. If you're a sports fan, what happens in basketball when momentum shifts from one team to the next, the coach or a player is going to, as quickly as possible, call timeout. I was coaching basketball last year and forgot that I could call timeout, and I would watch my little 10-year-old girls get pounded by these other teams because I forgot, like, uh-oh, <laughs> I can call timeout. What happens when we call timeout? Everything stops. Doesn't matter that your team just gave up four baskets in a row and they've lost all momentum and they're starting to lose hope and give up on themselves. Call timeout. What happens when we call timeout? Everybody does what? They go their own way. They huddle. And who do they huddle around? The coach. Thank you for one person that knows what happens in a timeout. Extra donuts. 
Coach calls timeout. They huddle up around the coach. They get a little water. They catch their breath. And the coach is strategizing. They get that little whiteboard out and they draw up a play. This is what we're going to do. They give some encouragement. Hey, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's make some adjustments. Let's go this way. And we can find ourselves sprinting up and down the court of life, losing momentum, falling behind, making mistakes, feeling like we're losing. We can call timeout and rally around our coach. And our coach is not me. Who's our coach? It is God. Rally around the coach. Daniel was pushed to the brink. And what did he do? He called timeout. And he said, boys, let's go. And they rallied around the coach. And the coach drew up a play. Took a while. They had to wait for it. Strategized. Here's the clarity. Here's the answers. Here's the plan. That time alone with God was powerful and influential. And it gave them the strength to be bold in front of a king that was willing to say, off with your head. To speak something that I'm sure if they ran it by everybody else would have said, you're crazy, Daniel. You think his dream means that? And if that's the truth, I wouldn't say that. If you go on to read in chapter 2, the dream is not good news for King Nebuchadnezzar. But it's that time out. Call time out. Rally around the coach. Take a deep breath and you'll find the answers you're looking for. Peter Scazzaro uh, has a devotional book, and he quoted some monks that talk about that quiet time. And maybe the sports analogy falls flat for some of you, so dead fish helps. So here's, an, uh, here's a picture that will be burned into your memories, and here's a famous quote. Or not so famous, but it's a good quote. It says, just as fish die if they stay too long out of water, so the monks who loiter outside their quiet place or pass their time with men of the world lose the intensity of inner peace. Anybody relate to that? The quote's not done. It goes positive. So like a fish going towards the sea, we must hurry to reach our quiet place. For fear that we will delay outside, we will lose our interior watchfulness. It is in the presence of God that we find our home, we find our peace, we find our strength, we find our intensity, we find our hope, we find our answers. That ache within us is to connect with the living God, to be with Jesus. So we need to do that. I don't know what your week was like. Did you have a hard week? You're not all going to raise your hand and say, yeah, my life sucked this week right? I had a hard week. I had a moment where I lost my temper. I wanted to break some stuff. I got really upset. I had a hard week in a lot of ways. And I was writing this and realizing, Jesus, I never stopped to call time out. And when they call time out in sports, everything has to Whatever comes this week, some of you may find a moment where you need to call time out. Go be with Jesus. Go find the answers you're looking for. And let's stop trying to just push through or fill in the blank with our own answers or get somebody else's answers to copy and paste into our situation. Call time out. Be with the one true God. And you'll find that courageous wisdom is found in those moments of courageous dependency.
Courageous wisdom is found in moments of courageous dependency. I want to wrap our time by having a, a moment where we can just worship Jesus. Let's put our eyes on Jesus this morning. And for some of us right now, it's this is the moment where you're going to call time out and just seek the presence of God. I'm going to welcome the worship team up, and we're going to worship Jesus together. And during this time, I want to just encourage you. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel. Take whatever posture you feel led to do. Be honest with God with what you're facing. The difficulty, the tension, the anxiety. And may these next few moments just be a timeout for you in the presence of God. If you need wisdom, what does James say? Ask. Just ask. God's not holding back. You need clarity? You need some answers? Let's just ask. So church, would you join me? We're going to worship Jesus together. I'm going to just briefly pray for us. We're going to jump in. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.